This is Straight Out of Vegas. Straight Out of Vegas! With the voice of Vegas, your host, R.J. Bell. Pay that man his money. You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. Live from the Vegas Strip, the pregame show America has always wanted. With R.J. Bell out, here's Bernie Fratto. Don't look now, but we are on uncharted waters, sort of. Tomorrow, Sunday, September 6th, it'll be the last Sunday without NFL football until early February. Of course, God willing, the creek don't rise and there are no more unforeseen Murphy's Law events, natural disasters, or rainouts. But on that note, welcome back to another award-winning edition of Straight Out of Vegas, the weekend version. I'm Bernie Fratto. We're coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. So go to geico.com for a free rate quote. Now, there are, we're five days from NFL football, so we are going to tonight continue taking our deep dive into all things football, and we'll target what I think are going to be the big storylines this season. Now, there hasn't been any preseason football and such, but I think you'll agree with me when I dive into these. In about 15 minutes, we'll talk Big Ten football. Are they going to play? Not going to play? If so, when? How? Where? We'll be joined by a guest I've known and worked with since 1994, and he has his finger on the pulse of the Big Ten better than anybody I know. In fact, he told me, the season would be canceled four days before it actually was. So we'll pick his brand and get the latest as there is a lot to digest and people want answers. After Brian Finley's epic update at the bottom of the hour, we'll continue with our NFL quick hitters. And I want to weigh in on Cam Newton and his new team. Plus, Steve Fezzik weighs in with a best bet on America's team, the Dallas Cowboys. Are they still America's team, by the way? All right, of course, we wrap things up with Mackinac Sports as we wrap up the show with the Thinking Man segment of the program. Sports are entertainment, but they're more than that. They're a shared experience as such. People want to talk about them, so you've come to the right place. We've got a lot to talk about tonight. This is Straight Out of Vegas 
the pregame show you always wanted. And as they say in Ricky Rubio, Minnesota, it's going to be lit. All right. Tom Brady, for me, is the lead story in this year's NFL. He's polarizing. They love him. They hate him. I got a good friend I work with for 25 years. He's on our network. He thinks Brady sucks. And some guy you may have heard of named Rob Parker. I love Rob. But his deal on Brady, well, you know the drill. No, but but let's, let's dip this in reality. For, see, for two decades, Bill Belichick has put the New England Patriots as a team ahead of any single player on the roster. Virtually every veteran who contributed to the greatest dynasty in modern sports well, they've been shipped out or allowed to leave once they were no longer useful or willing to contribute at the right price. And there's plenty of history to back my premise. Mike Vrabel, he was traded to the Chiefs. Randy Moss was shipped to the Vikings. Vince Wilfork, well, he finished up with the Texans. Adam Vinatieri, well, he had a whole second career with the Colts. I always thought if there was going to be one exception to that rule, I figured it would be Tom Brady. Nobody ever referred to the Patriots dynasty as Belichick and Vinatieri or Belichick and McDaniels. Or it's always Belichick and Brady. They're equals, arguably. The best head coach and quarterback of all time, at least in terms of resume. They're the two pillars of the Patriots dynasty, the two centerpieces that everybody counted on before they came together for their legendary run in New England. Six championships. They won, and they, I think you can give the credit equally. And in case you missed it, during Tom Brady's 18 healthy seasons as a starter, he made the playoffs 17 times, won the division 17 out of 18, and got to nine Super Bowls in 18 years. Are you serious? In the Super Bowl half the time? That's berserk. But alas, whether or not there was trouble in paradise, Brady and Belichick waved goodbye, and the beneficiary was the Tampa Bay Bucks and Bruce Arians. And I'm going to tell you why I love this deal. See, in general, anytime you can add a starting caliber quarterback without needing to give up any significant draft capital, it's a good move. Here's a worst-case scenario. Brock Osweiler to Houston a few years ago, and the Texans were able to get out of it. Well, they used draft capital after one disastrous season. Now, I get it. It's fair to expect Brady to be slightly diminished from the guy he was five years ago or even two years ago. And it's also impossible to separate how much Brady has declined from how much that infrastructure around him fell off in 2019. See, there's really no data on what a 43-year-old starting quarterback is supposed to look like or age like. Brady could drop off. I don't think that's going to happen. He could also take another step forward and look like the guy who was good enough to win a Super Bowl just 14 months ago. See, of all the quarterbacks available to the Buccaneers, Brady had the highest short-term floor, and ceiling. For whatever off-field benefits Brady will offer the Bucks, no free agent signing is going to move his team closer to a Super Bowl than Brady with the Bucks, even if it fails. This team had a chance to sign the greatest quarterback of all time and fill an enormous position of need. Let's face it, they needed a quarterback. Now, will things be better for the Bucks in 2020? Well, let's chop it up. Brady's going to have... Better receiving weapons in Tampa Bay than he had in New England in 2019. Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, well, they covered up a lot of Jameis' mistakes the past several seasons. Brady's a better decision maker than Winston. And Evans and Godwin are the type of receivers who can make a quarterback feel comfortable throwing a 50-50 ball when a play is breaking down. So Brady also didn't have those types of guys in New England, even though you could argue he'll miss Julian Edelman's agility. 
And oh, by the way, not for nothing, the Bucks just added Leonard Fournette as well. So here's the question. Can the Bucks win in 2020? Yes, yes, they are. They're capable of winning a Super Bowl with Brady. Yep, I said it. Everybody laughed at me two years ago when I said they'd win it in 2018 with New England when Brady was 41. Now, although Tampa Bay finished 29th in points allowed last season, they were still the fifth best defense in football by DVOA. See, Tampa faced the league's toughest slate of opposing offenses, and they inherited the worst average starting field position from Winston and was forced to defend 189 meaningful possessions, which was the most for any team. By the way, did you know Winston also threw seven pick sixes last year? That counts against the scoring defense. Brady's throwing six pick sixes in 10 years. Although I guess you, <laughs> his final pass on the patch uniform was a pick six to Logan Ryan, but I digress. Winston had 38 turnovers last year, and the average was on their own 39-yard line, putting their defense in a hell of a compromising position. He also threw six interceptions on the first possession of the game. And just for fun, Winston threw six interceptions when the Bucs were leading in the fourth quarter. But by DVOA, the Bucs were an excellent defense with a below-average offense and terrible special teams. Their place-kicking also took a big step forward, with the addition of Matt Gay, but the rookie, he kind of sucked last year. Hopefully he'll be better this year. Tampa also, re they struggle to return kicks or punts effectively. But you've got all these areas of improvement, okay, that I think Bruce Arians can work on, and Brady brings it all together. And by the way, they lost. How many times have we talked about the importance of winning the turnover battle? Well, Tampa Bay lost the turnover battle last year in 14 out of 16 games, and still managed to go 7-9. and nine. That defies the odds. You lose the turnover battle, you lose 83% of the time. Now, look, Brady's division is going to be a lot tougher with Tampa Bay. Last year, the Bills gave the Pats a couple of scares. The Dolphins were tanking. The Jets might as well have been. This year, the Panthers appear to be in the middle of sort of a transformational year in the Matt Rule era. But the Saints were the fourth-best team in football in 2019, and I could say they were equal to the Pats last year. Now, they're much better than the Bucks last year, the Saints, I believe, last year. The question is, is Brady enough to make up that difference? We'll see. And the Falcons, given their defensive woes, they're a more dangerous threat than the Jets or Dolphins were a year ago. So Tampa's also going to get eight games against the NFC North and NFC West, including a home game against the Super Bowl champs, Chiefs. Now, if Brady can push the offense into the top ten and avoid leaving the defense in compromising situations week after week with all those Winston-style takeaways, the Bucks, I believe, are going to be good enough to overcome any defensive regression and, yes, make the playoffs. Mark it. They'll make the playoffs. They're going to project somewhere in the 10-6 and six range, I believe, maybe even better. They've got difference makers all over the field. If I'm wrong... I'll be here in December. Let's remember this show on September 5th. Now, let's juxtapose this with Brady's former team, the New England Patriots, and their newly named starter, Cam Newton, because that's another big story heading into this coming season, which starts in five days. All right, so Cam Newton's addition does make the Pats better than they were last June with presumed starting quarterback Jared Stidham. Yeah, right. He's got the same number of starts as, as I do, and he's, what, he's throwing like four more passes. But are they really better than last season when they won an 11th straight title with Tom Brady? Now, here's my two cents on Cam Newton. Okay, I like him. 
I liked him at Auburn. I think he's a winner. He took a moribund franchise to the Super Bowl in four years, and he was the MVP of the league back in, back in 2015. I also think Cam took an unfair rap for his childlike Super Bowl press conference act. What went unreported is that he went out of his way to find Peyton Manning and shake his hand after the game. Now, Cam has also been incredibly philanthropic in his community. He often visits hospitals. He spends time with uh, disadvantaged children. But, but set aside your feelings, and let's talk objective truths. Since losing in Super Bowl 50 and looking bad doing it, Cam was 15-15 and 15 as a starter. In his career, he was 3-4 in the playoffs and 0-1 in the Super Bowl. Now, my man, Rob Parker, who I love dearly, I mentioned him earlier, he tweeted that the Pats, quote, now have a strong-arm quarterback. Really? Hmm? Do they? In the last three and a half seasons, Cam has thrown a whopping seven touchdown passes of more than 20 yards. Now, I still think New England goes at best 8-8. Eight and eight. Yep, I said it. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. But I do think they'll be fun to watch. I think it would be terrific if Cam Newton got them to the playoffs. But I'm not interested in Cam telling us in Instagram videos. In other words, Cam, don't tell me, show me. You won the job. Final thought on the Pats. After squaring off against the softest NFL strength of schedule each of the last two years, based on an opponent's projected season win total for the upcoming season, New England will have a comeuppance this year. They will face the most difficult strength of schedule in 2020 based on the opponent's overall win-loss record last season, which is just around 540, 54%, 540-winning percentage. That's tough duty. We'll see how they do. I say they go 8-8. Eight and eight. I see the Buccaneers go 10-6. and six. Coming up, will the Big Ten play football this year? And if they do, when? And what will it look like? We need answers. Even the sports books want answers. Because without Ohio State on the board, things look different. So we'll have a guest here coming up that I think you're going to really enjoy. And I have a lot of history with this gentleman. We're coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. So visit Geico.com for a free rate quote. I'm Bernie Fratto. We are coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio Studios. This is the pregame show you always wanted. So don't go away. You're listening to Straight Out of Vegas. All right, at this time, let's welcome in a gentleman I've known and worked with since 1994. He spent... 14 years at CBS Radio in Detroit. In fact, we did Lions, Detroit Lions print post-game shows together. And, of course, both covered Michigan in the Big Ten, and he still does. And he makes his residence just a couple of football fields away from the big house in Ann Arbor. Let's say hello to Dennis Fithian. Dennis, how are you, buddy? Pretty good, Bernie. What's going on? Well, it's good to have you on, and uh, let's start, uh, let's, let's dive right into this, because today would have been Michigan's opening game, but instead, I understand they had a little protest outside the stadium led by one Jim Harbaugh. What can you tell us about that? Well, it's the last-ditch effort as far as being able to play for the national title. That's the way the, the Big Ten is looking at it, because if they can't get the okay to play this weekend and can't get back out into the practice field, they're not going to be able to play uh, games in October. And then they're going to have to look to some different models. And so this is really it. So the Michigan players decided to make their, uh, their last stand here, lobbying for a reversal, uh, a prompt reversal 
So they were outside the stadium instead of being out in Washington trying to look for uh, an 11th hour uh, reversal here. A lot of confusion, a lot of uh, a lot of chaos, but you now they're they're just trying to get their voice heard here. And the confusing part has been last week here in the state of Michigan, we actually did get a reversal with high school football, which was right. postponed. And of course, we see across the country there's uh, there's plenty of teams playing college football, and then we really know that uh, when you see the ACC, you start looking at the calendar next week, you're going to have Clemson, you're going to have Notre Dame, you're going to have Florida State playing. Then, of course, in three weeks, when the SEC hits, uh, it's really going to be tough if, uh, you know, the Big Ten, of course, Michigan standing there on the sideline looking at all those other teams play, they'll have to be looking for their their other models uh, if they just can't get the the go-ahead. Uh, I would say the when we've talked about a lot of last ditch or, or, or drop dead dates, it's already past that. But I can't see them not getting uh, something you know past this Monday, past Labor Day, and then being able to put together something here in October where they could compete with the other teams for the title. So you've had your finger on the pulse for decades there, and uh, I remember Lloyd Carr used to love you. The bottom line is this. You you were inside the belly of the beast, and you told me four days before it was actually canceled that it was going to happen. So I'm going to put your feet to the fire again. You hear dates like October 10th or Thanksgiving or, God forbid, in the spring. Of those three potential scenarios, which has the greatest possibility or maybe none of them have the greatest possibility? Break those down for me. Oh, I think the uh, the most probable uh, plan that's going to happen is it's either going to be the Thanksgiving Day uh, plan or the, the January plan. I mean, those are, are very viable. The one that um, the Big Ten wants and that college football fans want, which would be close to normal as possible, would be the one that is uh, on life support and has always had very little chance of happening, and that's the one where they get a reversal and the the Big Ten presidents and chancellors have some emergency meeting, and they come out of this Labor Day weekend with this uh, shocking reversal. Now, I think the the reason that one's not going to happen is that these, uh, these presidents, they have already spoken, and while everybody else is beating the drum, they have their interest elsewhere. They are acting like uh, they can't even hear anybody in the protest. So the the part about go- going to um, uh, Thanksgiving, it's a ways off here. They um, would be able to pair themselves with the, the Pac-12. It's not ideal, uh, but there are some advantages to that one, too. But the being able to, to start in November or January, of course, gives you all that more time to look back and you can actually see how these other uh, conferences uh, get on and, and the success they have. Of course, the NFL as well and the rapid testing and everything else there. Uh, so they'll have a chance and they would gen- then play their Big Ten games and then at the end uh, play the Pac-12 uh, in the Rose Bowl, which is not playing for the college football championship, but it's um, you know a, a good second prize, I guess. Yeah, talking with Dennis Fithian, 27 years in the Detroit radio market, 14 at CBS Radio. Dennis, um, 
You brought up a good point when we were talking about 10 days ago, having to do with the fact that one of the challenges the Big Ten has as a conference is they're geographically spread around the country. And that even if they were to return, there could be some schools opt out, so it might not be the full 14 teams. Speak about that. Yeah, well, you know what? I know that was reported. I would really find that, like, I'm shocked every day you know, at the at events here in, in college football. So, you know, I can't ever say that it wouldn't happen for sure. But seeing the Big Ten, if somehow they would get a reversal and that some of their teams would opt out, would be the most surprising of all results. Now, you go from the shores of New Jersey all the way over when you start going west to you know, Nebraska and Minnesota, that's uh, a huge footprint that we're talking about. And just uh, thinking about getting six additional votes and have them reverse when they're all dug in here. Like, I just look from a, a, a Michigan standpoint here that uh, their president, and it's the surprising part about all of this, uh, Bernie, like I, I look at, like Michigan's president has pretty much put himself in a bubble. And it's the most amazing part. Like his name is Mark Schlissel, and he's a immunologist, and that's what this is all about. This is what he studied his entire life at at, at, uh, at Princeton, at John Hopkins, and he has voted against uh, uh, playing football here in the fall. And it's like uh, the Michigan president and the other presidents and chancellors have put themselves. Uh, with their self-imposed gag order. And that's the disappointing part because these guys, especially Slishel, this is him. This is his baby. Explain it. You know, we have seen others come out and be able to, uh, to, to talk about this. You know, at first, Dr. Fauci came out and people were receptive to what he was saying. But I'll tell you what, if I was, uh, hey, this is crazy to say, if I was a president and I, this was what I had studied and, and had my, my life's work in, was being in, you know, studying viruses. I would be out there with every day in any outlet that wanted to talk with me. Not that I wanted to get my face on TV or my voice on the radio or in print. I would just want to tell everybody my feelings and in, in my opinion on exactly where I was at and see if I could put it in layman's terms. Because one thing we know, half the country thinks this way, half the country thinks the other, and it's the same thing on the universities. It's the same thing from the states. It, it, it's everywhere there. And instead of getting out there and explaining themselves, they are, are hiding and just letting their statements from weeks ago stand there. And the one thing we know, things are changing and there's new information every day. Very disappointing from the Big Ten all the way back to early August when they released this schedule that everybody knew was a sham when they saw it. So that has right. just continued. This has been an example of, of what not to do. They've not picked a plan. They've not come out and said anything about what the next step is. They made their call. They didn't know if they voted or not. They've, uh, they've put out statements instead of getting out there and answering any questions. And now they continue to be quiet while they've got their coaches and players out there twisting in the wind and pleading for answers and, and another revote. And they can't even give them that, which is, uh, you know, it's tough to take from, uh, from a player and a coach standpoint. I would say one thing about uh, all of that, though, on the other side is that these presidents and chancellors, they might end up being right. And we know that college football has started a little bit here, Bernie, but 
I think these these uh, I think they're just sitting back and saying, "You just wait." You know, these others are going to join us on the sideline, and yeah. we're going to end up looking good. And there's going to be a lot of people that are telling us that you know what they sorry. You know, all along we just uh, you know we were antsy because they were on the football field. I, I think that they're just sitting there confident, and, and nobody wants to root against the other teams not being able to play. But I still think that they're just sitting there thinking that they're all going to join them on the sideline eventually here over the next uh, week, two, three weeks. Dennis, I wish we had more time. I appreciate you coming on. Let's keep the uh, phone lines open, and I would just say this. Uh, keep your finger on the pulse. Let's have you back on when we have uh, more definitive news, okay? Yeah, well, just hold your breath. You know, in another half hour, hour, if we get any news, uh, we'll make sure to call it in. <laughs> Sounds good, Dennis. Thanks so much. Really appreciate you staying up late tonight. No problem, Bernie. That's Dennis Fithian, 27 years in the Detroit Airways, including 14 at CBS Radio. He and I have done a lot of work together, including Detroit Lions pre- and co- uh, post-game shows. Coming up, uh, Fezzik's best bet uh, for next week. Well, more of a season best bet prop. And I want to return to some NFL quick, uh, quick hitters as we are just five days away from the National Football League. But first... Well, let's go to the man. Well, his epic updates come with a guarantee, and it, they're guaranteed not to break Ben Rust, Bust, Bite the Dust, Chip Cracker, Peel. That's Brian Finley with the latest. Oh, my goodness, Bernie. That is your token intro. The Nuggets take a commanding first quarter lead and weather the Clippers 110-101 to tie their second-round series at one. Denver head coach Mike Malone applauding the way his team pestered Kawhi Leonard, who shot four of 17 from the floor. Jeremy Grant's defense on Kawhi was spectacular, but the four guys behind it were giving the necessary help. I thought Gary Harris' defense on Paul George was terrific, but the help behind that was what we need and what we didn't have in game one. The Raptors burrow out of an 0-2 hole, tying the Eastern Conference semifinal series with the Celtics at two games following a 193 victory. Toronto made 10 more three-pointers. Boston's Jalen Brown scored 14 points on 18 shots. He bricked nine threes. The Islanders zoom into the Eastern Conference Finals after taking down the Flyers 4-0 in Game 7. ESPN is reporting past rusher Jadavian Clowney, who's long been on the free agent market will join forces with the Tennessee Titans. In baseball, the Dodgers puke up three runs in the ninth as the Rockies shock LA 5-2. The Oakland Athletics torture the Padres 8-4. Oakland now leads the AL West by three and a half games. The Astros are second in that division. They dropped both in their doubleheader to the Angels. The Miami Marlins submerge the AL East leading Tampa Bay Rays 7-3. And finally, third Thoroughbred Authentic wins the Kentucky Derby. The horse, Bernie, could not be tracked down for comment, but the racehorse was so excited afterwards, the Colt plowed over a couple fans in the winner's circle. How about that for a way to celebrate? Back to Bernie Frado, the kingpin of sports betting in Vegas. This man runs things. A horse is a horse, of course, of course. Never mind. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it as always. All right, our man Steve Fezzik weighs in with a bet that you'll want to pay close attention to. Having to do with the team, well, they're returning a prolific offense and a potential top 10 defense. What does that translate to in season wins? 
Well, Fez will tell you. Let's give it a listen. Oftentimes, when you're betting on a team, you want to look at their opponents in division. Ideally, you want to not like their opponents. Dallas is favored to win the division now. They're minus 130. And a big part of it is that Philly absolutely has gotten bad news. Lost two linemen. So cluster injuries, as we mentioned on the line. Wide receivers, two of their three starting wide receivers, aren't going to be ready to go in September. Wentz hasn't practiced all week. So who knows what's going on with his health. And I certainly don't like the New York Giants. I don't like the Washington football team. So other reasons that point me to Dallas over 10 wins as a bet. And think about that, because that's what you call deductive reasoning. Uh, These teams don't exist in a vacuum. So it's reasonable to believe that the number of wins a team can accumulate is at least part and partial to uh, their competition and their schedule. And if the rest of the division, and Philly is a mass unit, and Washington's clearly rebuilding, right, and you don't really know what you get with the New York Giants, that can only bold well since Dallas plays a full six games against their division. So Fez is pretty good in these season prop bets. Take a look at that. Dallas certainly has the personnel to win 10 games. They've got difference makers all over the field, maybe even 11 or 12 games. We'll see. They've still got to do it. All right, let's take a look at some other NFL Quick hitters, as I like to refer to. How about Cam Newton's old team? You know, the Carolina Panthers, they lost their last eight games of the season uh, in, uh, in 2019 by an average of almost 17 points a game. So if they do anything similar to that this season, they'll be labeled as tanking for Trevor Lawrence, that is, who is supposed to be the next number one pick in the 2021 NFL draft. And I know a lot of folks feel that Jacksonville will earn that honor. But new coach of the Panthers, Matt Rule, realizes he's going to really be heavily relying on a rookie class to build his team from the ground up. He did it at Baylor and Temple. He built teams from ground zero, but this is the National Football League. And the Panthers became the first team since the AFL-NFL merger to use all seven draft picks on defense, including the retirement of seven-time Pro Bowl linebacker Luke Keekley, who... Uh, who lost 40 sacks from last year's squad. So I'll tell you, they've, they've got their work cut out for them. How about the Buffalo Bills? I bet you didn't know this. It's not often you find that an NFL team will win 10 games in a season despite averaging less than 20 points per game. Well, the Bills did exactly just that. They were the seventh team to do it in this millennium. That doesn't necessarily bode well, but I know some folks that like Buffalo in that division with the Jets Miami, and of course, the aforementioned New England Patriots. Somehow the Pittsburgh Steelers have really flown under the radar, and this is exactly why you want to pay attention to them this year. Head coach Mike Tomlin has never had a losing season, and the only time he's gone back-to-back, excuse me, this is only the second time he's gone back-to-back seasons without making the playoffs. The last time it occurred in 2015 his troops went 10-6 and six before losing in the divisional round of the playoffs. So FYI, after failing to make the playoffs the previous season, Tomlin's teams are 41-27 and 27 straight up, including 16-3 and three straight up and against the spread among, uh, against other foes coming off consecutive uh, back-to-back losing seasons. So keep an eye on that. More Pittsburgh. Uh, how do we bury this lead? The return of future Hall of Fame Steelers QB Ben Roethlisberger, that is going to be tantamount to extending you know, head coach Mike Tomlin's 13-year streak of never having 
had a losing season in the NFL. Big Ben, he did lead the NFL in passing yards in 2018 with over 5,000 yards. So with uh, Ben behind the helm, Pittsburgh is going to face the second weakest strength of schedule based on an opponent's regular season win-loss record last season, .447 to be exact. They'll face teams who had a cumulative record last year of 117 and 130. These are important numbers to consider when you look at Pittsburgh's 2020 win season total and the fact that they are alive to win that division. I know everybody's already crowned Baltimore and they're putting them in the Super Bowl, but don't go to sleep on the Steelers. Usually when they are under the radar is when they are their most dangerous. And by the way, I wish Dak Prescott nothing but success. I'd really like to see him have success with Dallas. What do I mean by that? Get to the playoffs, win one or two playoff games, or even get to the Super Bowl. It's a good story. But don't dismiss the chances of former uh, Cincinnati quarterback Andy Dalton, the all-time franchise leader in completions and passing touchdowns for the Cincinnati Bengals. He could still end up taking more snaps than pundits predict. Andy Dalton has started a playoff game each of his first four seasons in the NFL. The only quarterbacks to do that since 1950 were Otto Graham, Joe Flacco, and Russell Wilson. So the red-headed rifle... He is looking forward to working with Mike McCarthy. McCarthy likes guys with experience, just saying. And speaking of other quarterbacks, it was announced today, if you're a Lions fan, this may bode well for you. (laughs) The Bears, who open up at Detroit, and they're currently catching three, they announced that Mitch Trubisky will start week one. He's averaging a robust 208 yards passing yards per game in his 41 NFL starts. There's a word for that. Brutal, and he's got a he's got a terrible QB rating of 85. So we'll see what Trubisky can do. You've got Foles waiting in the wings. I don't really know what they're waiting for. They already know what Trubisky can do, and they're paying Foles 20 million dollars. By the way, one thing about Dallas, they're one of the few teams that will have fans week one to start the season. I don't know how many they're going to allow in Texas, but they're talking about as many as 50 percent. I don't know. We'll see. We're going to watch this because there's an inconsistency in the NFL policies in terms of who will have fans, who won't have fans, and is that going to create advantages or disadvantages? Some of the things we'll get to find out. I'm really looking forward to Thursday night as the Kansas City Chiefs begin defense of their title and they host Deshaun Watson and the Houston Texans, and I can't believe they're laying 10 points. I'm not saying I'm involved in that game yet, but that's a lot week one, and that's a lot when you've got a dynamic force like Deshaun Watson, who Dabble Sweeney called Michael Jordan. And you know what? I kind of agree with Dabble Sweeney. Coming up, you know him, you love him, you can't live without him. We've got a special edition tonight of Mackinac Sports, so you don't want to miss it. I'm Bernie Fratto. We're coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio Studios. This is the pregame show you always wanted, so don't go away. You're listening to Straight Out of Vegas. Straight out of Vegas! One of the best in the business, Bernie Fratto. Bernie Fratto coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio Studios. We are back on Straight Out of Vegas, the pregame show you always wanted. Before I go any further... I want to thank my broadcast team back in Los Angeles. That would be Brian Finley, Chris Perfett, and in for Eric Roberts tonight, Bo Benson, who is also the co-host of the Swing Ship 
podcast, along with Ryan Bershinger, voted number one by Tommy Wysu. <laughs> Google it. All right, uh, McKenzie, here he is. You know him, you love him. Kenley with Adam and Smackin' on Sports. We pick it up where we left off. Bubble basketball continues to confound me. I just want to say a quick thing about the Clippers game today, which I think was deceiving because the Clippers were 9 of 32 from behind the arc, and that was really the only difference in the game. They had they out-rebounded uh, uh, Denver 52 to 40. They had 48 points in the paint. They just couldn't shoot from behind the arc, and Denver could. And, you know, we're finding nowhere in plane travel, no home court advantage. You've got to manufacture your own momentum. You've got to fan- manufacture your own excitement. And night to night, you don't know how that goes. I had someone tweet at me about how Trump Toronto's got all the momentum now. No, they yeah, don't. No, 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 no. Okay? The series is tied 2-2. I'm sticking with Boston. We'll see if I'm right or wrong. I don't know how you say anybody's got momentum when you're playing inside a bubble. And, by the way, they've all done a phenomenal job, and the game's have been very competitive. But let's face it, McKenzie, this is a little different scenario as it continues to develop. Momentum is the next day's starting pitcher, right? That's what they say in baseball. In other words, it's imaginary. It's how good are you going to be the next game. And Bernie, I think you can search far and wide. You will not find someone with better verbiage than FSR's very own Brian Finley. And he said it best. The Duggets weathered the Clippers. The Clippers were down 21 early, and they ended up losing by nine. They played a pretty good last three quarters. They didn't win the game. That happens. Gary Harris threw in a couple dagger threes. They got to, I think, three or five, and they just, look. No one, said that, no one said they were going to sweep. You right. know, I, I, I covered those Pistons teams that went back to back. I saw the Lakers. I was an intern. You don't win every game. You don't have your A game every night, right? You're just some, some days you drive well, you don't putt well, you get the difference. <laughs> right. But still, be it as it may, and this is why we do Mackinac Sports, you manage to find an edge that people really need to pay attention to because these numbers are starting to become very daunting. Right. I was down at the beginning of the day with a big Celtics play. I gave out on Twitter, oops, you know, can't win them all like we just said. I had to get my money back, though. So I went to the sports book and I said, give me the second half Nuggets Clippers under. And I was very confident and it came through again. In fact, since the boycotts a couple weeks ago, there's been 18 NBA games, obviously 18 second halves, 17 have had lower scoring than expected by almost 10 points per game, Bernie. And why is this happening? Well, playoff scoring in general is lower. That didn't really happen for the first week of the playoffs. It's starting to happen now. But usually there's about a two points difference between first half and second half scoring. That's consistent in the last 10 years in the playoffs, last 10 years in the regular season. That's generally what you expect. We're seeing a gap of 11 points between the first half scoring and the second half scoring. First half's 9-9 nine and nine over unders the last 18. Again, second half's 17-1 and one to the under. Bernie, help me out here. I have a couple of possible explanations, but what do you think about this? Well, story? I was about to ask you, is there a causal effect? Or is there just a streak here? What's happening? Is it just a situation where the markets haven't adjusted the lines properly to make account for this? What do you to, what do you believe is the, you know, what are the factors you would consider in, in surmising that this is what's happening? If I hadn't watched the games and I just looked at the stats, I might think, well, 17 out of 18 streaks will come, you know, just randomly every so often. But if you look at these games, if you look at the games today with the Celtics and Raptors game four or the Nuggets and Clippers game two, the first halves and second halves look like completely different affairs. It looks like there's two different teams out there. And I think there's a few different things going on. Okay. 
Doc Rivers had a you know impassioned speech today saying we're a defensive team. We didn't play that the way the first half. We play that way. That's our identity. We're going to do it the second half. So coaching adjustments. You can say, hey, this guy's hot. We're going to put two on here. You can make these plays, and that's why we generally see second halves lower scoring as coaches and teams make adjustments to stop the other team's best weapons. But 10 points, Bernie, that difference of two points is exacerbated by 5X. Why? Well, I think fatigue is a very different animal in the bubble. For one, the backdrops are all the same, so you're going to have that hot shooting to begin with in the game, but that goes away when teams get locked in later in the game. You know exactly, you've seen these teams probably four or five times by now in the bubble. You can make adjustments and they, and they can put the clamps down, and I don't have to know every reason why this is happening to make money off it like I did tonight. I actually think there are fresh legs. What happens when fatigue sets in, defense wanes? I've seen some True. very aggressive uh, very active, active hands, bodies flying all over the place. Great defensive plays this this past week. We seen we, we saw James Harden with the block shot. We see play of okay, his life. We don't need to we don't need to name them all. Do a roll call. But what I'm seeing is great energy on defense. All there right. is no airplane fatigue. True. No one's having to travel, and frankly, they're not intimidated. No one's intimidating by going into someone else's building. You play a game. You go back, you take a shower, you go to the cafeteria, you have the tuna surprise, you go play some video games, you go to bed, you know, wash, wince, repeat, and they're getting plenty of rest, and I think these guys are playing their butts off. That's very interesting, because most people, you know, knee-jerk even what I just said, oh, lower scoring, but they're probably losing their legs in the second half. But as you say, it's a lot easier to play offense than defense, so maybe it's the lack of fatigue that we're used to seeing in these playoffs that allow them to get up for the second half. That makes a lot of sense, Bernie. All right, I want to real quickly, because a lot of people ask me about the Lakers Houston tomorrow I'm not going to be involved in this game but I must tell you that I was again I was very taken aback by the aggressive effective tenacious defense led by PJ Tucker that Houston played they held the Lakers to 97 points the Lakers averaged 113 per game in the season and 117 per game against Portland if that continues tomorrow night, the Lakers could have an issue. The other thing is, I do think the Lakers really underestimated uh, Houston's speed. Well, since they traded Clint Capella, the Rockets have played the Lakers three times. None of them have been close, Bernie. They've blown them out every single time. And obviously, three games isn't enough to say it's a lock. The Rockets are going to win this series. But I don't think with the, the, the way they, these teams play, I don't think the prices are right right now. I think the Rockets maybe have a 45 50% chance to win the series. The market says they have a 30%, 20% chance to win the series. I'm not buying it. Give me the Rockets. Really? Okay, well, I think it really comes down uh, to what happens tomorrow. But continue to watch these totals and continue to watch to see if the markets adjust, uh, McKenzie, uh, because, uh, frankly, if the numbers stay the same, it's pretty hard to jump off this trend. Exactly. All right, that's going to do it for this week's edition of Straight Out of Vegas. Thanks so much for Dennis Fithian to come on. Up next, the man from Nashville. He brings it strong. It's my man, Jason Martin, so keep it ro- locked right here on Fox Sports Radio. Straight out of Vegas! 